seeking out companionship is one of the most effective and efficient ways to establish a sense of allyship and to have something or someone alongside you to experience life. That's precisely why that it is estimated by Forbes that 65.1 million people across America have the distinct distinction of calling themselves dog owners. The publication also reports that dogs are the most popular pets for people to own across the U.S., followed by cats, with an estimated total of 46.5 million households owning a friendly feline, and finally followed by freshwater animals by a clip of 11.1 million. Let's turn our attention back to our four-legged friends for just a moment. Ensuring that they're properly trained and behaved is a large part of making sure that you're a successful dog owner. That's why... According to a recent American Pet Product Association national survey, it found 4% of dogs in the United States take at least one training course throughout the duration of their lives. Which brings me to my friend, Brady Folk, who serves as a national keynote speaker and renowned dog trainer who is passionate about empowering puppies, dogs, and their owners to achieve greatness, success, and harmony at home and around town. With years of hands-on experience and training, he's honed his skills in the areas of canine behavior, obedience, emotional support, and service dog training. Brady firmly believes that a well-trained dog is a happy and confident dog. And he's on a mission to empower dog owners with the knowledge and the tools to create peaceful and loving homes with their canine companions and folk join me this week to discuss everything relating to raising a happy healthy and obedient dog to both the dog their families and the community at large can live in a more harmonious and loving state giving dogs their appropriate place in our societal ecosystem of progress. I'm Kevin McShane. Let's have this conversation.
I started my conversation with Brady by asking him what connects him most to the work that he does and why dogs are his passion. We're going to be talking about dogs today, so if you got a dog, you're in luck. You're going to learn how to have a better dog, or a dog who listens a little bit better, rather. But if you don't have a dog, and you're still listening, we're still going to have a lot of fun chatting for the next, like, 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> I would love to. Um, and I would love to because I didn't always train dogs. I I started off, I, used, I worked at In-N-Out, and I worked at... Um, Tiffany and company selling jewelry and I worked at Apple for a little bit. Uh, but what ended up happening is I got my dog when I was 22 years old after I got my first big boy job. So I was working a nine to five. I was making more money. I had my own apartment and I was like, okay, this is great. My work told me, don't get a dog. Keep coming, partying with us, enjoying your time. Uh, it's going to take up all your time. And I was like, no, I got this. I'm like a high energy guy. I like to run. I like to exercise. I can handle a dog. And I grew up with dogs. I'm the oldest of six. So I was like, I understand what's what's involved. But the thing was, our dogs would always run away when I was growing up and they would get into the trash and they caused a lot of havoc. Um, some of them we had to rehome. Some of them um, passed away from like various things. We lived on a lot of land out in Temecula and, and, um, they were just kind of wild animals to a certain degree. So I was like, my dog isn't going to be like that. I'm going to have a dog who listens to me, who loves me, who does what I say, not because I tell them to, but because they enjoy and they trust me guiding them through this. So I got my puppy and I thought it was going to be perfect. And I let him sleep in my bed and I bought very expensive food and treats. And I, we went to the dog park all the time. And one day I, I left to hang out with my friends for like an hour and a half, two hours, not that long. And he was about six, seven months old. And I came home and the first thing I noticed is just like a ginormous chunk of carpet missing. And I was like, oh, shoot, like, how am I going to fix that? And then there was like four piles of poop and pee, like, like scattered across my room. And I was like well, my room stinks. That's like another thing. How am I going to sleep in this? It's like 11 o'clock at night. And I'm like, okay, it's Home Depot open. Can I rent a carpet cleaner right now? And then I had like a book. I had my Tim Ferriss New Tools of Titans book that was like on my shelf. And I had a bunch of other books, but he decided to take this new book and eat this book. And he ate like the first like 30 pages of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Like, why'd you do this to me? Uh, it was um, it was my rock bottom. It was my breaking point to the moment where I was like, okay, I actually have to learn how to communicate to this guy because at this point I was kind of just bribing him and hoping he'd be good. And that's kind of what started my journey to dog training. I'm curious, do you have a dog? Uh, no, I am a petless, my friend. Okay. Power to you. Yeah, it's fun. I went on vacation a few days ago and there was no animals there. I was in Cancun and our dogs were being taken care of. And I was like, oh, this is kind of nice. And like not having to think about like someone has to go poop or pee or like I got to feed them or I got to train them. And, um, but anywho. Did you feel out so, of place on vacation without a dog, my friend? There was moments where my brain is like, you got to go train. You got to go do something. And I was like, no, you can just relax. Enjoy your time. 
so <laughs> it is kind of funny how our brains are trained after a little bit of time of doing something. Uh, yeah, and let's talk about the behavior of dogs and sort of the emotional support angle, my friend, because I know you spend a lot of time uh, training dogs to be the emotional support and sort of the obedience side of dog training. But my friend, so let's talk about the psychology of dogs and what goes into the emotional and psychological training of them. I'm fascinated. Yeah, I would love to share about that because, and, and the first thing I like to share with people is that the average dog, and the average dog, I mean, Chihuahuas, Pomeranians, Border Collies, German Shepherds, Golden Doodles, and everything in between, the average dog can learn 165 words. So I have a pretty good feeling most people's dogs out there could learn maybe 20 to 30 words quite easily, and maybe they just don't know it yet. So I like to help people learn how to communicate with their dogs more elegantly. And by doing this, we're able to set up things where your dog can ring potty bells to communicate that they have to go to the bathroom or for a service dog, they could open up the fridge, get a water bottle out and bring it to you, you know, or if you drop your credit card, they could pick it up and hand it to you. Um, or if you just need a little bit of emotional support, they could just provide deep pressure therapy. That's the one that I train all the animals to do. And that's just how to lay calmly on your lap and provide pressure and comfort to you. And each person's a little bit different how, how they want their dog to lay on their lap or what they do in that moment to help calm themselves down. But it is just a form of communication and when you're able to communicate clearly to your dogs it becomes fun and when you use games to communicate then it becomes even more fun yeah and brady you said that you believe that a well-trained dog is a happy dog so tell me about the benefits of training dogs and why you think it's so important that dog owners invest in their I think it's important because dogs and humans, in my belief, they have six needs. And these are needs that everyone needs to get met. And these aren't wants, but needs. So the first need is to feel safe and secure. I think that one's very important. And most people meet that one really well with their dogs. The next need is variety. We need to be experiencing new things and going out and seeing the world and smelling the pee trails for the dogs. And um, as humans, we need to be going out and doing different things too. No one wants to watch the same movie over and over again. Would you? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one is significance and, or the need to feel wanted or needed. And dogs get that in different ways, but that's kind of providing a job for the dog to do and emotional or service dogs, they have a big like significance. They're very needed. Sometimes dogs at home, they, they don't have much to do. Um, and sometimes all they need to do is just go hang out on their bed and um, wait for a treat over there. Right. Or like for my dog, we have bedtime cookies. So if he's hungry or he wants a snack, he can communicate to me by going to his bed and I'll toss him a treat, you know, or, 
um, finding a toy and keeping themselves entertained or like, you know, just being a dog. Um, the next need is the need to feel love. Like we all, most people meet that need pretty well. Um, they're loving on their dog, making them feel important. But one of the ones that I want to focus on that you asked me about is growth. Um, growth is one of those that most people don't think about and they're like, can dogs learn? And of course dogs can learn. Dogs do a lot of tasks and most people know that, but all animals like to learn and grow. So like I have two guinea pigs too, and I've worked with pot pigs and chickens and goats and um, different farm animals. And when you start engaging their brain and they start thinking through things and um, start becoming curious, you start seeing their tail move first off. That's like, that's a big indicator. They're like, oh, this is kind of fun. I'm like starting to think. And then you start creating a dog who's able to problem solve. And when they're able to figure out how to get the things that they want by doing the things that you want, like I said, with this bedtime cookie, they go to their bed, I give them a treat, they do what I want, I give them what they want. And it becomes a very easy way to communicate. That is what I find a happy dog to be. There's less stress in their life because it's more predictable. There's more routine and structure to their day. And they're able to grow and learn new things. Like I said, the average dog can learn 165 words. So that's just teaching them. You could teach them how to roll over. You could teach them how to um, bring a different toy to you. Like I've taught my dog the difference between like different toys. Um, you could teach your dog how to put away their toys. Uh, so there's lots of things that are simple that you could train your dog how to do. I taught teaching a dog how to catch. Sometimes that's a fun one. My my clients are like, my dog isn't very athletic. And I was like, well, maybe if you were to give them a heads up and say, hey, you ready? Steady? Catch. And then you hold out the tree and then you toss it to them. And if you do this a few times in that order, the dog's going to be like, oh, they throw something at me every time they say catch. And then the dog starts being able to catch better. So I think that's what makes a happy dog. Yeah, I'm fascinated to ask you about a checklist that someone should go go through before committing to owning a dog. And what do you think is the first step to training a dog correctly or putting a a dog on a pathway to a successful life? What are your thoughts then? Yeah, I go through the seven master steps every single time I meet up with a new dog or I board a dog or even if I meet a person. Step number one is one of the most important, and it's to connect and appreciate their world. Connect and appreciate their world. What does that mean? It means understand their mind, their body, and their spirit. So you got to know kind of what drives this dog. What are the dog's driving needs? Sometimes... When I meet a dog, they're very active. I meet a lot of very active dogs and they like a lot of variety. They like a lot of um, adventures and finding different things. And they also are very significant driven. So they, they do what they want. And they think if you say no to something, they say, well, why not? And they go and do it anyways, a lot of the time. So um, I just connect and appreciate the world. And I can connect and appreciate that because that was me growing up. If you told me don't press the red button, I'm going to go press the fucking red button. Right? I don't know about you. <laughs> but, uh, t- temptation is hard, isn't it? 
uh-huh and it's a muscle you got to learn how to grow but you got to appreciate it first and most people they blame dogs for not being able to control themselves without taking the time to teach them how to ask for what they want so i just connect and appreciate the world first off and i do that in a few different ways one of them is the needs and then i assess kind of like what element they are if they're wood or fire or earth or metal or water and that like goes into a book called fire child water child which is fantastic if anyone out there wants to give it a read so that's the first step is connect and appreciate the world the second step is to connect again and to get leverage so now i need to find out like what like i said kind of what's driving you and now how do i utilize this to get you to do what i want for you to do um what you want and sometimes for like I, I call it grandma's rule i don't know if your mom or your grandma was like this but mine was if my room wasn't clean my friends couldn't come over or i couldn't go hang out with my friends like mm -hmm. so if my friends would knock on the door and be like hey can brady come play my mom would say is your room clean and i'd be like no and then she'd be like well how are you gonna play with your friends <laughs> i'd be like oh, you're kind of right cause that's the rule so rules are very important and you got to have leverage and know kind of what drives this person. So those are the two first steps that I take with any dog. Yeah, I'm curious to ask you about sort of having uh, the psychology of the dog owner, because you say uh, that many dog owners uh, fail to uh, unlock their uh, dog's fullest potential. So tell me, what is, I guess, the secret sauce to unlocking a dog's true potential, my friend? Yeah, I love this question because I feel like you have to be very intentional about it. And I'll share a story why. I have a new puppy. She's eight months old. And I got this puppy because another one of my clients got two dogs and she was the crazy one, right? The one who would always press the button when you told her not to. And she was a handful and I appreciate handfuls because I was a handful to a certain degree growing up. And so when it came time to name her, I named her curiosity and I named her curiosity because when you get furious, you got to get curious. And there'd be moments where maybe I would get a little peeved or, a little bit annoyed and I would have to be like, well, what can I appreciate about this problem? Like, how can I use this to benefit me? And if you start shaping your brain like this, you can start seeing things that you didn't see before. And that's important because our brain is always focusing on what we tell it to focus on. And it's very good at generalizing, distorting and deleting. So it, I can take you through a little exercise if you want that I take my clients through. Yeah, um, please go ahead. Okay. So I want you to look around this room, around the room you're at and find anything that's red, anything that's red. Okay. All things, all you see is red. All you see is red. Find all the red things you can. Okay. Now close your eyes. Okay. Now tell me all the things that you saw that were brown. Uh, the table. <laughs> uh, yeah, my skin. Uh, but it's a little bit harder, right? Now open your eyes. 
Yeah. Open your eyes and now see all the brown around the room. What do, what do you notice that's brown? The walls, the mantle over here, a lot of the bar, the bar behind me. There's a lot of stuff that's brown. Yeah. All stuff that's brown. Now, what's funny about the brain is it, it, when you tell it to look for something, you'll look for it. But when you're looking for the red things, I bet you called maroon things red or brown things red just to be successful. And I bet you're calling brown, I bet you're calling things that are a little bit beige or different shades brown in order to feel successful too. So the brain is always just looking for what you tell it to look for. So if you're looking for, for problems, if you're looking for all the things your dog is doing wrong, you're going to find it. You're going to find all the reasons to blame your dog for why they're stubborn or annoying or an idiot or an asshole, whatever word people use to describe their dog when they're doing something wrong. But if you start training your brain to look for the things that are interesting about the behavior and say, hmm, that's interesting. Why do they do that? Or how can I use this to help our journey? You know, because some of these things are, are helpful, like curiosity. She loves to pick up sticks, but I trained her to like take these sticks to one spot and now she just makes a pile of sticks. So then I go over there and like I pick up the sticks and I like throw them away. And she'll also bring other trash to this pile. So now she helps me pick up the backyard. But before, if I was just like, well, she's being annoying, chewing on these sticks and like finding trash and chewing on it, then I would just find reasons to blame her. So one thing I help dog owners with is shaping their brain to look for moments that they could use and to be a little bit more curious about and to say what's great about this problem. Yeah, absolutely. Brian, I want to know how dogs have fundamentally changed your life, my friend, because I know that they've been a great source of mental and emotional support for you, my friend. So tell me all about it. Yeah, I grew up with dogs, so they played a huge role in my life and how I appreciate animals. Sometimes owners will tell me that they were bit as a kid and they had some event and I feel for them because I've been bit now that I've been training and it, it weighs on you a little bit if you don't know how to get rid of that weight and to focus on something different. So man, dogs, I feel like are spiritual teachers because they will give you tests in life that no one else will. And they also will love you unconditionally, which most of us don't feel that unconditional love. And you have a choice really as an owner, you can ignore these things, these problems that the universe is giving you. And I view problems as a sign of life. I think the people that don't have problems, the only people that don't have problems or those in the cemetery, <laughs> they're dead. And so problems are a sign of life. And if you can look at these problems and ask again, like, how can it serve me? How can I use it? Uh, everything in life starts becoming a little bit easier. And I do that in all aspects of my life. So like I do cold plunges, not every day, I'll be honest, but um, there are moments where I get up there and I don't want to do it. And I have to tell myself, I say we do. And I feel like that's just an important muscle to train too. 
and believing that I don't have to do this. I don't need to do this. I get to do this. I get to hang out with dogs all day and like help teach them different lessons and learn from them. And even for me, there's, there comes from frustrations when I want something to happen faster than what's currently happening. And yet I have to find the, the joy in the journey. And these are all things that I learned to appreciate. I wasn't always like this. You can talk to my, my siblings. I, uh, one time my siblings told me they, I, they weren't doing what I told them to do. So I took their crayons and I put them in a pot and I melted them. And I was like, me, <laughs> I would never do that. But there was a moment where I, I influenced differently than I do now. And I saw the world differently than I do now. And I think dogs and animals are all part of a reason for that. And I think when you can start seeing that connection between how we're all kind of interconnected in a way, it makes you appreciate life and divine intervention even more in your life right now. Yeah, absolutely. Brady, out of curiosity, I want to ask you this question because I, I selfishly want to know your answer. So, Freddie, outside of hosting this podcast, my friend, I work with businesses to elevate the hiring of folks with uh, disabilities and to really help them build an inclusive culture. So tell me about running your own business as a small business owner. And I'm just curious to ask you, what do you think comes from infusing different people Yeah, that's a brilliant question that I look forward to um, applying and addressing even more in my business. Right now, I have no employees, so it's just me running the show. And I've helped people with disabilities, and I have people in my family with disabilities. And um, it takes walking in their shoes and truly thinking about, like when I worked at Apple, people would come in with a broken phone or different problems. and I didn't always have experienced those problems before. Like I may not have had my phone, um, like been locked out of my phone or not been able to remember something or whatever the issue may be. And you can practice sympathy and be like, I'm sorry that happened to you. Or you can practice empathy and be like, oh man, I know a time where something that I needed to happen really quickly didn't happen. And I was worried and afraid if this could get fixed in time. And I know how it feels to be locked out of something. And like, man, I, I, I empathize with you. And so one of my clients, she was in a wheelchair and she is in a wheelchair and she has um, cerebral palsy. So it's hard for her to move her fingers. And I didn't understand that when I was first training her. And so she asked me to wear gloves, like these thick gloves and makes it harder to, to grab things and hold on things. And she's like, this is how it feels for me to, to do this. And I was like, this makes so much sense. And then I started training in a wheelchair just so I could feel how it feels to not move around as quickly or as accessible as you want to. And I feel like having these experiences allow you to empathize with the person a little bit more and provide a culture that's inclusive and be like, okay, how can we create a training that can include you that you can do easier 
than what I'm presenting right now. And that just takes curiosity, that takes humility, that takes um, just gratitude and appreciation and wanting to, and just appreciating the opportunity to get to do this. So I don't have any employees right now, but if you would like to help guide me in any ways that I can get involved, I'd be more than happy to um, see maybe what we could do because I think dog training can impact so many people and it's uh, it's a nifty skill to learn for communication too. Yeah, as you know, Freddie, from uh, listening uh, to my podcast, I was actually born with uh, cerebral palsy and I think animals are a great source of uh, social capital for uh, people with disabilities because it provides them a sense of allyship and belonging, doesn't it? If they have someone to share their life with, would you agree with that? I would, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I want to talk about reframing sort of the perspective around embracing a proactive mindset when people are learning to uh, transform their lives and how do you think they can use a well-behaved dog to help them transform their perspective on life and how they look at it? I'm fascinated to get your answer. Yeah. Um, I feel that dogs can give you a reason to wake up in the morning. They can give you a reason to take them out for a walk and to do these things and to get outside and uh, to take care of and appreciate something that's more than you. And I feel like that's a huge reframe in life for a lot of people. And this general skill of reframing, that is something else that's very important. And it's been important to me, especially as I address problems. Um, and I find people who... And it, reframing is easy if you look at it as how do I create something that helps me on this journey? And a lot of people, they say, like, I want to be perfect. I want the perfect dog. But in reality, being perfect isn't very useful, right? No one wants to listen to the perfect story about how I had the perfect dog and I was the perfect trainer and everything went perfectly well. Like, no one's going to listen to that. No one wants that. Um, and it's just not real life. Like there's problems in life. So I tell people that perfection is the lowest standard that you could possibly have because it's not attainable. The, the real mindset that you want to have is failure is learning. And as long as I'm learning, I'm growing. And as long as I'm growing, I'm going to hit my goals. So being able just to have these conversations with yourself and to say, Hey, I hear you. Like I acknowledge the thought that I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. I ask myself, is this true? You know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And then I ask myself, is it a hundred percent true? Most of the time it isn't. Most of the time we do have the skills and the resources to get the things that we got that we want. We just have to ask. So as you think, so you feel, and as you feel, so you do, and as you do, so you have. And if you go through this process, if you think I'm not good enough, like, let me ask you, if you think you're not good enough, how does it make you feel? Yeah, to answer that question, Brady, I'll tell you, 
a story. So, a buddy at, at the age of nine, buddy, uh, I actually found out that I wouldn't wouldn't be able to walk for the duration of my life because of the severity of uh, the cerebral palsy I was born with. Uh, I was born with uh, spastic quadriplegia of cerebral palsy, and that simply means that I don't have enough oxygen in my legs to walk normally. And you know, one of the reasons really I started this podcast was I wanted an outlet to build uh, social capital because of the result of my disability. Sometimes it's harder for me to get out and explore and do things outside of my house. So uh, having a conversation with you this morning and building relationships is something that I uh, uh, struggled with uh, when I got out of college because of the disability. And I'll tell you, Brady, that I, uh, when I graduated, so I graduated college with a journalism degree in 2010, buddy, and it took me uh, until February of 2016 to get my first paying job because when I went to interview for jobs as a journalist, um, I was rejected a total of 10 times by <clears throat> 10 news directors before I pivoted and became a speaker because when I went into newsrooms, um, uh, news directors would tell me uh, because of my disability, they viewed me as a, a liability. So I uh, uh, got into podcasting and doing the uh, public speaking thing kind of by accident and because I wanted to prove that I could do it. And then uh, because I used what I learned in school and my communication skills, my first paying job was actually helping people uh, look, who look like me get jobs. So uh, the power of resilience is something that, that I constantly go through. I know that was a long-winded answer to your question, but I hope it answered it. No, you definitely answered it, man. And you had to change your thought and find the thought. I'm curious to ask, like, what made you, what was the moment or what was the thought that you had that led you to speaking? Uh, uh, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, uh, Bray, um, when I got out of college, like I said, no one would hire me to be a journalist. So I had, I had to pivot and do something. And then... Uh, my, um, I'll tell you this one other story. So the week before I graduated, uh, my coordinating professor of my journalism program said, uh, you should really think about becoming a speaker because you have a story and you're good at communicating and being a full-time journalist may be a bit challenging for you because at the time that we weren't as advanced journalistically as we are now. Uh, so partly I wanted to get into speaking and journalism uh, specifically because I wanted to, to tell the stories of the uh, people that couldn't tell them for themselves. So that's partly the reason I got into yeah. speaking. And the other part of it is because I love impacting people and living life, Brady. You know, when I 
was born. I was born three months premature, and when I was born, my parents were told that I wasn't uh, supposed to live past uh, three and a half. And I, uh, this January, I celebrated my 35th birthday. So life to me is a great opportunity. And the reason I became a speaker uh, from a personal perspective was because, you know, I believe if we don't celebrate life and share the wisdom of what we what we've been put on earth to teach other people we're sort of deluding ourselves but we're also cheating other people of our own internal wisdom so i talk to people about resilience and overcoming obstacles and building an inclusive uh, inclusive culture in their workplace so that's sort of been my mission passion and uh vision in life my friend so. that is beautiful my friend absolutely beautiful and i love it because you provided a path for other people to follow if they want to too and it took a mentor for you to define the problem in a solvable term it wasn't just keep doing what you're doing it's if this is happening to you it's probably happening to others so why don't you speak to it and that's exactly what you do. You found the people who wanted to hear you and you asked yourself a different question. Instead of why am I not good enough? You said, who does want to hear me? And that led you to take different actions to inspire and to build this organization that you built. And now you have a different life than someone who would continue to think that. So I just want to commend you because it, it is beautiful um, to hear the, the ups and downs of it and to see that you found your voice because when you own your voice, you own your power. And yeah, and I always say, if you find something you're passionate about, you don't work a day in your life, right? Amen. Absolutely. Brian, tell me, what are you, or what types of people do you think make great dog owners? Because, you know, owning a pet isn't for everyone, but what, what qualities do you think great dog owners have? I love the thoughtfulness of your questions. I think what would make a great dog owner is someone who's curious, someone who enjoys adventures and has the time to take their dog to different sites and sounds and places. I feel that a characteristic of a good dog owner would be someone who is, um, what would be a good word? Not always. Courageous. Okay, we'll go with that. Sure. Committed is a good one too. Uh, someone who's able to see these challenges and these obstacles as stepping stones, as building blocks. I believe all kids go through phases and they start off afraid of the world and you got to get them brave and then they start telling you no and like me, my, or I, these are my things. Um, they go into terrible twos, um, and then after terrible twos, they're they're sweet for a little bit, but then they go through like another little fear period, and then they hit teenagers, and um, so you got to see all of this in the big picture and realize that yes, this is frustrating now, but it won't always be frustrating. So someone who has the committedness to the animal and the courage to address problems and um, the humility too to ask for help. That's a big one. That one took me, a, like I told you, I had to hit rock bottom. I had to start asking a different question. 
for me to ask for help. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there, there, you know, it leads into my next question, Brady, because, you know, I think there's strength in uh, vulnerability. You know, part of the symptom of my disability is that sometimes when I talk, my words don't catch up to what my brain is thinking. So I have a bit of a speech impediment, but I always look for the championship aspect of life. And I, I, I'm curious to ask you, how do you define a championship journey? And how do you think uh, the bond between animals can help us live a championship life? Oh, this is an interesting question. It's interesting because um, we've been talking about it this whole time. Typically, the championship journey starts with you want something. And typically, it's something material. You want to win the trophy or the award or get the recognition from the people who have a million followers on Instagram. And as you go through this and you start going to this, you run into problems <laughs> as you do anything in life. And you fall on your face a few times. And after falling on your face a few times, you can either continue to fall on your face or you can ask for help. Then you ask for help and you find a mentor or guide, someone that can help you. And things get better. You grow much faster. You compress decades into days. And you learn simple techniques like taking a breath, taking a moment to breathe and to allow your thoughts to catch up with your words. You learn how to reframe thoughts and to appreciate problems and see them as a sign of life. You learn how when you get frustrated or furious or angry, how to see the, the greatness of the problem and how to be more curious about it. And yet, even though you know all those things, you still run into more problems. And these problems, though, you have a few more tools in your tool belt to address them with. And so what you do is you, you take a second to breathe. And you, you look around and you observe and you make a decision and then you act. And you get better and better at doing these things and you finally reach a moment to where you can win the tournament or you can win the award or you have the million followers and you realize, well, this isn't what I really wanted anyways. What I really wanted is to have a little bit more calmness in my brain. I want to be able to own my voice and to share my story powerfully with people so I can connect and resonate. Those are the things that people really want. And the championship journey is when you realize this, then the whole journey becomes so much more fun because you can see the person you're becoming by intentionally making decisions and hiring coaches in the areas that you want to improve in. And that's what a championship life is for me. It's being intentional with my life and being the voice and being a leader, not for other people, but for myself, leading myself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I always, uh, you know, about expectations, I always say the only level of expectations we have to meet in life are our own, my friend, because 
if we don't have a fundamental level of our own expectations that are of our own life, it's hard to mean it for everybody else, isn't it? Oh, so true. So true. Everyone has different rules. Oh, well, uh, some are better than others, right? <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so, I'm, very, I'm curious to ask you about the unique challenges and rewards about running a dog training business. What are your thoughts there, my friend? There's, there's so many because... I've worked for companies and working for a company is easy because they tell you what to do and what to think and your paycheck is steady and, and all those reasons. And at the same time, I worked more hours than I have at any of these companies running my own business. And I love it more than anything else because I get to build something that I'm proud of. And I understand not all businesses succeed and businesses, there's phases, they go through the same developmental phases as dogs and humans do. Mm -hmm. um, and like things are easy to grow at the beginning, and then they get harder to grow and sustain because you got to do things a little bit differently, you got to go to the different phases. So dog training has helped me meet new people and find things that I never would have found before. It's allowed me to face problems that I never would have seen before if I would have just stayed doing what I was doing. It's allowed me to um, provide opportunities for people and for owners of their dogs to, to go places and to do things with their dog that they didn't think were ever be possible. So I get a lot of, um, I get a lot of fulfillment from that part of it too. And then I just learned the science of running a business. So as I learned this science behind dog training. I can take it and apply it to, to anything else because there's a science to it. And then there's the art of fulfillment. And right now dog training does both for me. And I, I look to expand my team and to, to hire on trainers and to do things. But at this phase of my life right now, like that's how I feel. Yeah, absolutely. Brother, I know that you also do some public speaking as well, my friend. So what fascinates you the most about connecting with an audience? What do you think makes a great public speaker? I think what makes a good public speaker is creating an experience. Creating an experience is by speaking in a way that leads you to be heard. So I didn't do this well at first. Before, when I started teaching, I would just out a bunch of techno jarble, right? I would tell you all the tiny details of dog training and the psychology behind it and the science and all these little tidbits that are fascinating for me, but for other people, they just fall asleep. And so learning that in order to communicate these little details, I need people to buy in first and they need to be able to relate to me. And what that caused me to do, or what that forced me to do is if I wanted to be heard, I had to learn how to speak, how to own my voice. And so I paid a coach. Um, I paid Nick Santanastasso. He's been fabulous. There's a whole team of people behind them. And there's a big speaking group now. And um, I paid the mentor and he turned decades into days for me. And he showed me shortcuts and showed me ways to um, 
make money even though I'm not getting paid to be on the stage at first. And he showed me how to find stages and then how to write a transformational speech because when you're speaking, there's a certain formula to it too. And in dog training, I ask people, if you have all the ingredients to make a cake, but you don't have the recipe, Kevin, can you make the cake? Uh, not a very good one. <laughs> not a very good one. But as soon as you learn the recipe from someone who has a recipe, it's very easy to follow the steps and you get a brilliant cake. So. Yeah, absolutely. Brother, tell me what's fascinated you the most about the psychology of dogs? What fascinates me the most is that our brains work the same ways that dogs' brains do. And so if you're able to understand a dog's brain, you can understand your brain. Or if you understand your brain, you can understand a dog's brain. And it's this idea that, one, we're always creating associations to things. We're asking yourself, is this person our friend? Or are they not our friend? Is this person good or bad? Is this person safe or unsafe? Um, is this situation good or bad? Like, we're always asking ourselves different questions. And everyone has different questions, right? Like, will I make money here? Will I not make money? You know, am I wasting my time? Am I not wasting my time? Blah, blah, blah. So our brain is creating these associations and dogs are too. They associate when you leave the house, when you shut the door, what does that mean? Does it mean like you're gone forever? Or does it mean that they should go find a bone and chill out on their bed for a little bit? And so if you can understand that and you can understand that really the only two reasons why we do anything is for um, pleasure is to get something that we want or to avoid pain and to stop something that's hurtful to us. Once you understand that, you can start elegantly influencing yourself to do harder things that may be a little bit painful, but you realize that it may not feel good, but it's good for you. It's good for others and it serves the greater good, right? Like running. Running is something that doesn't feel good or by like speaking up and sharing your story or taking the time to write a story. Sometimes that doesn't feel fun, but I know it's good for others and it serves the greater good and it's good for me. So, uh, I, I think the most interesting part about the dog psychology is how it relates back to us and how really simple it is if you let it be simple. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Bernie, I want to ask you about internal motivation, my friend, because I'm a huge believer in internal motivation. And if we're motivated to do something uh, intensely done faster than if we're not, obviously. So tell me about your response behind the concept of internal motivation and always challenging yourself to be better every day. What are your thoughts then? I feel that you have to have a, a routine and habits in order to have a deep sense of internal motivation. I'm also driven by external motivation. So I like to imagine a future 10 years from now that's pulling me to it. And the combination of these, I feel like is very powerful. Uh, internal motivation, some of the things that I do that help me is I have incantations that I'll say very powerfully. So I'll say, now I am the voice. 
Now I am the voice. I will lead, not follow. I will believe, not doubt. I will create, not destroy. I am a force for good. I am a force for God. I am a leader. Defy the odds. Set a new standard. Step up, step up, step up. And I make my move. I feel powerful. Oh, man, I say I love myself. I love you, Brady. And I build this muscle because it's like going to the gym. You, if you want strong muscles, you got to go to the gym and you got to work out. And, you know, people would always say in the past, if you eat an apple a day, you keep the doctor away. Have you heard that? I have. It's one of the oldest adages in the book. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you were to miss 30 days of apples, but just eat 30 apples on the last day, does it, does it do the same thing as eating one apple for 30 days? Uh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't do anything close to that. So building this muscle day after day is the most important part. And doing, um, <clears throat> it could be as little as, you just got to grow your mind a little bit every day. And that's just doing something that is is challenging or difficult to you it could be meditation it could be a cold plunge it could be um writing a speech it could be jumping on a podcast like jumping on podcasts they they weren't as easy as they are now for me but i've done a lot of them and i built this muscle and it's not like i did a lot of them on one day that would be exhausting and near impossible but i've been right. doing them for months now <laughs> and you love every moment of them right I, I do love a lot of moments of them, but there's still moments that I don't love. And I think that's the, the part of life that if you can appreciate, you like the balloons? <laughs> uh, yeah, they're very, very festive, yeah. But if you can see the bad for what it is, not more than it is, not less than it is, just for what it is, right? There's bad things that happen in life. Like I lost my uncle rather unexpectedly last year, and that sucks. Anytime you lose someone, someone passes away, it sucks. It, it, it's, it doesn't feel fair, and it's, it makes me angry, and it makes me sad. It makes me afraid of my own mortality and the legacy that I'm creating. But it also allows me to love, to love his memory and to know that he's closer with me now. He's sitting with me right now listening to this podcast, and I think about him often, and I bring him up often in my mind and to other people, and I share stories. He taught me another um, amazing incantation. He told me that the greatest leaders in life are the ones that realize that we are not the masters of our own fate. We can just dictate how we live through life. Positivity and perspective can go a long way, but it is not ours to determine what happens to us. It's like riding a wave. You can get crushed by it or you can ride it. But ultimately, when you're able to see the best in other people, you're able to see the best in yourself. And that is one of the greatest gifts that he ever gave me. And that was one of the last words that he ever said to me when we were talking. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's appropriate to acknowledge the, the pain and the suck when it happens. And then to also, we were talking about focus, focus on the things that are in control of your of, of in your control and, and to find things that you can remember and appreciate about this moment and to realize that life isn't happening to you. Life is happening for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, brother, I'm also uh, uh, curious to ask you about how do you think 
a well-behaved and emotional dog going to help sort of elevate the quality of a family. And what I mean by that is, how do you think uh, animals and dogs specifically can elevate sort of the psychology of life for uh, families as they to improve their family life? What are your thoughts there? You know, I think being a dog owner means you're a leader. And I think being a leader means more than getting results. And I watched on camera as one of, one of my old roommates, he kicked and he punched my dog. And it lit a fire inside of me. And it's a fire that still burns. And it burns to educate people that there's different ways to teach and to to influence dogs. I believe that there's three ways. You can use fear and intimidation. You can use bribes or incentives, or you could use growth and inspiration. And all three are going to work and all three come with consequences, but only one's going to give you the connection that you really crave. And I told you, I've used all of them. When I was growing up, I would use more intimidation and when I first started dog training, I would yell at my dog when he made a mistake. And that's just all I knew. And then I, I tried bribes and incentives. So I told you I bought the best food, the best treats. I let him sleep in my bed, but he just kept wanting more and more and more. And it wasn't until that yeah, I found out training and growth is what leads to a happy dog is inspiring them to be more, to do more. And I'm sure you could remember the teachers or the leaders who intimidated you or they tried to bribe you. And how did it make you feel? Yeah, you know, you know, life is full of temptation, isn't it? And, and influences and making sure that we make the right choices, isn't it? Yeah, no, it totally is. And sometimes all it takes is just remembering the leaders that inspired you and rewarded you for growing like you're doing right now. It's amazing. And you probably can still remember their faces and hear their voices and feel the impact on our lives today. So the question I have is how do you want to be remembered? And that's the question I ask parents and dog owners too, is how do you want to be remembered? What type of leader do you want to be remembered as? Well, that actually is my last question. So let's talk about legacy for a moment, Brady. And really what we at our lives, and if, and if we have to create a movie, my friend, about your life and your legacy, what do you think the title of the movie would be? And how do you want your legacy to be remembered? Yeah, the title would be New Direction. Uh, and that's important to me. That's the name of my company, New Direction Dog Training, because it takes just a two millimeter shift. It takes just a subtle idea to ask yourself, well, what if I did do this? What if I did try this? And that two millimeters, just that question alone sometimes can take you in a totally new direction. And the, the legacy that I, I want to build is one that's built around being a family, one that's built around being a voice for others, a, a company that's built on on community, a company that's built on um, 
positivity, but not permissibility. So there's still standards, there's still rules, there's still ways you can make a mistake, but it's built on the backbone of redemption. And we've all made mistakes, we've all failed, we've all fucked up. And there's a beautiful journey in, in redemption and proving yourself and coming back from doing something and saying that, you know, that's who I was back then, but that's not who I am now. And you know, I, I, I fucked up back then, but I'm doing my best to be better now. And this is who I am now. So building uh, a culture and uh, an environment around some of those driving principles to, yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, my friend, tell me if people want to get connected with you, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, follow me on TikTok or Instagram. It's N D Dog Training. So it's New Direction Dog Training, but N is in Nancy, D is in Drew Dog Training. Uh, my eight-month-old puppy, Curiosity, that I've been talking about. I bought a skateboard for her, and I bought a child skateboard, and I thought this thing would be like half the size of a regular skateboard, but this thing is like a third of the size. It's so small, and when I bought it. I called my brother and I was like, bro, like, and he's helping me make these TikTok videos and these Instagram videos. And I'm like, I can't, I can't train her to ride this thing. It's too hard. I got to return it. And he goes, no, you must train her to ride this one. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So we've been at it three weeks now and I have a leash tied to it and I can pull her around on it and she can, um, she can keep three paws on it and keep her other one kind of moving. Uh, and so we're, we're growing this skill day by day, you know, an apple a day. And if you follow along on this journey, you can kind of see where we're going. And uh, the goal is to help other people teach their dogs cool tricks. Like she can jump on my back and I can do push-ups. And I'm teaching her to jump rope with me. And there's just so many things you can do with a dog that is just brilliant. I'm going to teach her how to open up the fridge, how to paint. I got a whole list of things I want to do. Oh, well, you know, the power of resilience and uh, creativity make an interesting combination, don't they? They do. Absolutely. That's like the ultimate formula. Absolutely, my friend. Well, I want to thank you for the good work that you do to bring light and uh, direction to dogs and uh, people's lives, my friend. The work that you are doing is truly a transformational. I want to. But I thank you for getting up early for me this morning and for engaging in conversation. It's most appreciated. Man, I love being here. I appreciate you. If you got any wisdom to help me become a better business owner, I'd love to pick your brain more. And um, thank you for having me. I appreciate your thoughtfulness and your questions. Absolutely, Brady. That's just another excuse, uh, excuse to uh, record another podcast, right? Oh, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely, my friend. Well, I want you to have a great day and uh, have a great day of making a difference. And thanks again for joining me, okay? My pleasure. I want you to have a great day, too. Take care, Kevin.